The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 434 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is divorce when children live with disabilities. Now, the types of disabilities children live with are chiefly those which require continuing care and which are persistent because there is no real prospect of cure. These disabilities include developmental disabilities, that is, disabilities that children were born with, and disabilities acquired as a result of serious injury or mental or physical illness. The disabilities affect mental health, physical health, or some combination of mental and physical health. Now, the child may live at home, be cared for in a specialized long-term care facility, be the child of both of the parents, be the child of one of the parents, or and or may have been adopted by one or both of the parents. Now, the challenges for parents, the parents, all parents, include providing for the best of care, finding money for the best of care, keeping a watchful eye on the quality of care, and making arrangements that respond to the parent's question, the typical parent's question, what will happen to my or our child when I'm gone? All of which is why our topic, Divorce When Children Live With Disabilities, is so important. Now, Joran um, is my guest. Um, Joran is a lawyer, and she, in her, what I'm call, going to call her bio, um, has described herself as a trial attorney with 36 years of courtroom experience, now in private practice at Open Palm Law in Tampa, Florida. She received her bachelor's degree from Yale University when she was 19 years old, and her JD, that's the um, doctorate, as I understand it, in law, from Georgetown in Washington, D.C., She's the former editor-in-chief of both the Federal Lawyer magazine, the Bencher magazine, and author of six books, including War or Peace, open brackets, Avoid the Destruction of Divorce Court, available on Amazon.com. She's received an award that was that's granted only to one person each year in the United States Supreme Court. Now, while her focus during most of her 36 years in practice has centered on legal ethics and professionalism, 
Her mission recently has morphed to change the way the world gets divorced, to enlighten folks as to which choices will fit their families best when it comes to the process of divorce. So welcome, Joran. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Joran, first question for you. Please tell us more about your career as a lawyer, especially as it relates to divorce in circumstances when a child of the marriage lives with a persistent disability. Joran? Well, you know, I, I started in commercial litigation, and it wasn't until I opened my own practice uh, 22 years ago now that I even thought to do divorce work myself. Um, although I had been divorced, um, I had no clue when I was divorced how to go about getting one. And quite frankly, when I went to a lawyer and I said, I need to get divorced, um, he looked at me and he said, fine, I'll file a petition. And I said to him, are you kidding? I have to go to court to get divorced. I didn't have to go to court to get married. Um, and so it was actually quite a shock to me to discover that families go to court every day. We have um, five to 6,000 divorces filed every year here just in Hillsborough County. Um, and so families do go to court. But I think, and you and I have, have talked about this, I think that when there are children with disabilities involved, um, the parents seem to be a bit smarter about how to handle their divorces, and they take a little bit more control of the process, which, you know, quite frankly, I like to see. I like to see families who are thinking, you know, we don't necessarily have to go to court to get divorced. We can do this uh, maybe a different way. And um, parents you know, with, with children who are suffering tend to be better at putting those children first and foremost in their thoughts, even when it's the children's uh, uh, disabilities that may have contributed to the divorce in the first place. Right. Now, please tell us about your law firm, Open Palm Law, that's P-A-L-M Law, and what this name symbolizes. Jaren? Ah, well... You know, it's funny. Years and years ago, I wrote a, um, a, a, a long piece for a law journal on the, the uh, concept that an open palm holds more than a closed fist in the context of lawyers being um, professional and civil to each other. You know, we've, we've all heard about how uh, lawyers have become less and less uh, civil uh, because they're in court all the time and they're battling all the time. Um, and then recently, I got involved with this collaborative divorce thing, uh, which is really a new approach to how to get divorced that involves um, lawyers agreeing at the front end that they won't go to court, that they will work this out. And so the team gets together and they work it out with, um, with a financial expert and also probably with a facilitator of some kind, a mental health professional, a family counselor of some kind who works with the couple to get them to agreement, or to an agreement that they can live with and that actually helps uh, solve the problems that may have contributed to the divorce in the first place. Um, and uh, so along those lines, I thought, you know, that's really what collaborative divorce is all about. It's coming into this process with an open hand um, instead of, uh, you know, going in with the idea that you're going to battle it out. You go in with the idea that you're going to solve these problems. You're going to communicate better. You're going to come out of your divorce, as one client has told me, I came out of my divorce a better person than when I, when I started it. 
Jerry, please tell us what collaborative law is and highlight its principles. In other words, I'm reading into what you just answered um, about collaboration, and I'm making the assumption that there is such a thing as collaborative law. Jaren? Um, good question. The, the concept of collaborative uh, divorce, at least, is that the lawyers, uh, before there's any litigation, um, agree that they will not go to court. And if the parties, the parties being the, the two, the divorcing couple, if they decide that they have to go to court, that they simply can't work it out, then these lawyers get fired and they have to hire new lawyers, which um, is a little bit of a stick. Uh, the carrot in that process is that uh, the experts, there's only one of each kind, so you don't have to spend the money for two experts, one for each uh, spouse. Um, there's always a facilitative person in the room who's uh, got a background in mental health or family counseling, and so that's very helpful to a, a couple who's in the throes of, let's face it, probably the most stressful circumstances uh, they'll ever go through. Um, and so it's those two elements, really. The, the lawyers will not go to court, and then you add the fact that there's a team comprised of both the lawyers who, let's face it, they're aligned with their clients, but also neutral professionals that the spouses, quite frankly, can trust. They know that, that these people are objective and they're not aligned and they're not on anybody's side except maybe the kid's side. Um, and they can bring in whatever professionals they might need. So when there's a child with disabilities, of course, they can bring in a doctor. They can bring in uh, a family counselor of a special sort who specializes in uh, developmental changes in children. Um, so they can bring in the types of professionals they need rather than ending up in front of a judge who, quite frankly, doesn't know them, doesn't know their children, doesn't have any kind of background in, uh, in disabilities or in family counseling or in any of that stuff. Um, and uh, so they, uh, the approach to the divorce is much more holistic, I think, would be a proper term. Just to follow up on that, how wide, widely spread among the U.S. states is collaborative law? Is it practiced in every part of the U.S., in other words? Oh, that's a great question, man. Uh, hmm. Well, it started in Minnesota. The, the, uh, the original idea uh, pretty much started in Minnesota. It spread to California. In California, it morphed. So in Minnesota, the idea was two lawyers get together and they, they agree that they won't go to court. In California, uh, they started adding the, the, um, the non-legal uh, experts into the team. Um, and then it moved down to Texas where T. Boone Pickens got himself a collaborative divorce and decided that this was uh, one of the best things going and made a fairly large contribution. I'm not exactly sure how much to support the effort to spread the word. Um, and then from there, it's kind of, uh, it's seeped out all over the place. So uh, we have collaborative practice groups up in Canada we have them in Australia, uh, we have them in Europe, in Holland, um, um, in England, 
they're they're spreading all over the place like wildfire. There's uh, an association in the United based in the United States, the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, um, that meets all over the world. Um, but it's still a budding concept. So we are in the throes here in Florida, quite frankly, right smack in the middle of the throes of passing the, the collaborative statute. There is a uniform collaborative law here in the states, but not all states have adopted it yet. So we're still, we're still working on it, and there's still room for anyone listening to this broadcast who's interested in finding out more and getting involved. There's still plenty of room to, um, to learn more about it and to help spread the word. Let me just ask you again. You, you really probably answered this question, but just how long ago was it really born, this idea of collaborative law? Well, so I can't honestly answer that question, um, and here's why. There was, as with any good idea, um, except maybe scientific ideas that one day they work, um, somebody actually, you can tell, actually did discover it, but good ideas kind of morph and develop over time, generally speaking, and so I know that there were some people who were talking around this concept of, um, of approaching uh, disputes between people from a more holistic uh, uh, approach than going straight to court. Um, but there was a guy, there was an event who, a guy who, you know, was hearing about it. His name was Stu Webb. He was in Minnesota and in 1990, I believe it was 90, I don't think it was 91, he wrote a letter to um, one of the justices of the Minnesota Supreme Court and he said, I want to. I want to try doing this. I want to. I don't want to do this collaboratively. Why don't we start doing it this way? And he wrote a very long letter, and after that, uh, he just decided that that's what he was going to do. He did a few uh, cases with a guy named Ronowski, who, uh, and the two of them basically have been since pretty much pounding the pavement for the last 25, 26 years, um, spreading the word. Pauline Tesler has been very, very involved in spreading it out in California. Norma Trush down in, uh, in Texas and, and Harry Tilden, I think is his last name. Um, but basically, we all think that we call 1990 the year that, uh, that it sprang to life. Got it. Now, talking of springing to life, we have to take the break at this point. So we're going to do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Doran Jenkins. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. 
Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Joran Jenkins. Our topic is divorce when children live with disabilities. Now, Joran, let's talk about the experiences of divorcing couples and of their children who are living with disabilities. So let's start with a question. Tell us about the experiences of children living with persistent disabilities when there's a divorce going on in the method that you've just described to us. Joan? So, um, you know, it's not often that, uh, that we run into these specific types of divorces. Uh, there's, there's plenty of examples where the children are, of course, caught between the divorcing parents. Um, but when they have disabilities, it's almost like the children with disabilities are, are noticed more by the parents. And um, for some reason, it seems in our divorces that the parents are, uh, again, even if, for example, we see this uh, often, I'm afraid, um, one of the parents cannot deal with the disability or the mother's attention, for example, is all on the child and the father feels that it's not really a marriage anymore and he may love the child. Um, but he can't live with the fact that the mother's attention is all on the child who, because the child needs, needs somebody to be the uh, ultimate caregiver. So the, the parties are headed for divorce, but both of them uh, obviously love the child and want what's best for the child. And so they're more focused on uh, what can we do to make this, um, to make this work. Um, dad wants to get on and have another life. He wants another wife. Um, but, uh, but he also wants to do what's right for that child and for, for the woman who is going to be caring for that child. Um, so, and there's, you know, as with any divorce, we run into the same old question. Two families can't live on the same income as one. Now, one of the most common questions that occurs in these is not only is there not enough money to go around, but the child with disabilities requires more financial caregiving than a child who is not uh, disabled. So, again, you know, we run into the what do we do about the financial problems? Very often, the, uh, the grandparents are involved with contributing 
um, because the, the two parents just simply can't make it on what one or both of them is making. Right. right. Now, what I want to ask you next is um, really an extension of the question I've just asked you, to talk to us about experiences of parents who are divorcing under the circumstances we're talking about. And maybe without obviously mentioning names, you could give us one or two examples of the experience of parents. Erin? Well, uh, I have one, and actually um, I'm dealing, I'm, I'm in the midst of this one right now. Um, strangely, or maybe not so strangely, the child in question is, uh, is uh, pretty much grown at this point which, uh, as, as many of your listeners will know, is, uh, is not, uh, when you're talking a child with disabilities, it makes no difference. Um, and it's the dad who is, has, put the dad, uh, has put the child um, number one in his consideration. And so mom has finally decided that she has to wash her hands um, and let dad continue his caregiving and she needs to move on. Um, in this case, she is not making any money. Uh, she's going to have to get a job. She's going to have to get uh, reacquainted with the workplace and there's not enough money to go around. So she's, she wants alimony. There's not going to be any money there to pay her alimony. Um, she wants to contribute to the caregiving of the child she has no funds to do that. So we're, you know, we're in the middle of this one and I'm not exactly sure how it will resolve. Um, the child in this case, uh, I'm trying to remember what all of his disabilities are. One of, one of that, he's got psychological dis disabilities. Um, I can't remember them all. Uh, you'll have to forgive me on that one. Fair enough. Yeah. Let me, let me just ask you um, to say a little bit more about the kind of financial problems that the parents run into. That, that was a very clear challenge, financial challenge that you've just described to us. But what about the question of getting the money that's needed to make sure that the child with the disability is getting the care that's required, given that this kind of around-the-clock caring can be very expensive. Jared? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's fascinating. I had one case where um, the couple was uh, very active in their synagogue. And um, the, believe it or not, the synagogue was, it, it was mom who was stay-at-home, uh, dad who uh, decided to leave the family, um, mom, because she was stay at home with child, uh, needed alimony. And if they had gone to court, uh, would have gotten alimony. So there, it, you know, it, with alimony, it's a question of, is there a need, but is there an ability to pay? Um, in this case, there was some ability to pay, but not enough because the child needed more help than the mom did. Um, and so actually the synagogue has stepped in, um, and has contributed, um, quite a bit of funds, you know, unfortunately in these types of situations, it's, uh, it's not an, it's an ongoing need and it's not necessarily an ongoing 
con- you know, contribute co- contribution. So, so yes, dad will be ordered to pay or he'll agree to pay a certain amount, uh, forever. The child will be disabled forever. Um, mom, uh, is going to have to stay home with child forever. So he'll pay a certain amount of alimony forever, but we don't know how long the synagogue will conti- continue to contribute. And so that will be an ongoing stress for that family, um, unless there's some bequest or inheritance or something else that can be done um, to fund that need. Joran, now let's go to the next question, which um, resonates with a word you used earlier, grandparents. And I'm asking you the question to tell us about the experiences of families. And what I mean by families are all of the extended family, the grandparents, the siblings, and generally that broad group that we call family. What about their experiences when parents are divorcing and the children are living with persistent disabilities and there may be money shortages? Well, you know, uh, sometimes the grandparents step in and take over the caregiving for the the child. Um, depending on the situation, you you never can tell what the um, what the family will look like when you get into it. But grandparents um, very often make their interests uh, part of the equation. Um, I had a case where grandpa uh, had one grandson from all of his children and having a grandson was critically important to him. Um, And this was not a a developmental, it was not a disabled child, by the way. Um, But I bring him up because he funded the litigation for five years just because he wanted more time with his grandson and he got it through his son. Here in Florida, uh, grandparents have no rights to visitation. And so they have to, whatever, whatever time sharing they're going to enjoy, they have to get through their own, their child, the parent. Um, and so with the, with the disabilities, it's not uh, un, unusual to see grandparents step in um, and sometimes actually the child is then placed with those uh, adults who, just as with um, uh, childcare, you know, you often see moms who have to go off to work, and so uh, grandma will then be the childcare for the small child. Um, so we often see disabled children staying with grandparents and sometimes being raised by grandparents. Um, <laughs> And those grandparents obviously are retired, so they can afford the time, and so they're con- they're contributing the time, and therefore the it's a substitute for finances because they don't uh, the child doesn't have to be placed in special childcare for the mom to work or the dad to work. Joanne, there are some circumstances where the term kinship caring is used. Are you familiar with that? Have you come across that term? I have not. Well, it's a situation where things have go, gone so seriously wrong in the lives of the parents that the grandparents really have no option, or the grandparent has no option but to take over the care, financing, 
and all those related matters from the parents. And there have been many stories of these aging parents living on their pensions, running out of money, running out of time. So it makes me wonder, and I'm not making this as any kind of suggestion, but you know whether there's a better way of supporting kinship caring in collaborative methods that you're talking about. Now, that's not a question to you because we've run out of time, but you just um, I've done an episode or two on kinship caring, and I, the resonance was very apparent to me. Now, once more, it's time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Jaron Jenkins. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jaron Jenkins. Our topic is divorce when children live with disabilities. Now, Darren, let's talk about the ways in which collaborative divorce works to help manage or overcome the challenges you've mentioned for mothers, fathers, and their children's living with persistent disabilities. In other words, what I'm looking for here is a, a little bit more detail of the kind that you've given us about the way 
this important, and uh, that's my judgment, um, method works. So first question then is, please explain how collaborative divorce works to help manage or overcome the challenges faced by children living with persistent disabilities. Um, and I just want to make the point that challenges faced by children, they may themselves not be aware of these challenges, but if the treatment they're getting or the care they're having um, fails, then they have challenges that could have been avoided. Sharon, what do you think? You know, um, it's, not, um, it's not special to uh, parents getting divorced who have children with disabilities uh, as far as the way the collaborative process works. What's, what collaborative brings to the table for parents of all children is the ability to hear better what the child's needs are um, and to put those child's needs, those children's needs ahead of their own. So um, the special thing about the collaborative process is it's much more likely that there will be a child expert of some kind involved in the process. In most collaborative cases, even with children, um, you'll have, at least in Florida and in many states that, that have uh, a collaborative team similar to the one that we will put together in Florida, the, the, the team will consist of a financial expert of one kind or another or perhaps two kinds, a CPA and a certified financial planner, um, as well as a, a family counselor of some kind facilitating the process. Um, what happens in a collaborative case is the team first looks at what the party's interests are. And it's, it's really the deep-seated interests. It's not the interests like, I want the house. That's just a position. It's the interest like, I need a house that has a separate bedroom for this child. I need a house that is all on one floor because of this child. I need a house that has a, a, enough space for my home office. Um, I need a house that's in a good neighborhood near the school that my child is attending. Um, so those are, those are interests. And where there's a child with disabilities, obviously those interests will include um, and be, it'll be pretty much at the forefront. Um, I need time to care for this child. I need the, the money to care for this child. We need a certain, certain uh, doctors or certain schools or, you know, all the things that go with the uh, taking care of this particular disability, whatever disability we're talking about. And those interests are put up on a board. And so they are front and center during the entire negotiation. Um, and then the second, this, I think the second critical aspect to this is the, the work that's done to help these parties communicate. Um, they really learn to hear each other. Certain, uh, certainly when people are getting divorced, I think we can probably all agree, they aren't communicating as well as they did when they were in love and, and had just gotten married. They aren't problem solving. They aren't listening. Um, and so when they're with a team like this, they learn to listen better. They learn to, to listen actively, to ask the right questions, to hear better. I've had clients who said to me, you know, it just sounded different when the financial guy said the same thing my husband just said. 
Um, you know, I learned to listen better. I learned to wait him out, hear what he had to say, because I knew in the team he would hear me out and he would give me the same respect. And so um, because of that, they learn to talk about things that they haven't really been hearing from each other about their children. So, for example, is a straightforward example, we had a child who was um, telling dad that he, he would do his homework when he got to school. Mom knew very well that he didn't have time to do his homework when he got to school. And when dad and mom actually talked out loud about that problem, they realized that their child had been playing one against the other and not getting his homework done. And so then they could get back on the same page. Well, of course, you can see how you can apply that concept uh, when there's a child who's suffering from disability. Now, I'm going to, it's the same line of questioning that is more detail in the way that um, collaborative divorce works. But this time, it's the question of challenges faced by parents. And I'm just going to ask a bit of a leading sub-question first. Is, is bitterness in this process an issue that you have to deal with? If so, how do you deal with it with collaborative divorce? Or if it's not, is that something that collaborative divorce has pushed aside, so to speak? Joan? Well, you know, that's a great question. Um, we're, we're almost always dealing with some level of bitterness when a divorce, uh, when a marriage doesn't work out. Um, occasionally you'll see a couple that has just come to the, the resolve that um, they've grown in different directions and they both are okay with that. And so it becomes at that point more of a, um, you know, a, a business meeting. Uh, you know, they just need to divvy up the assets and divvy up the responsibilities and um, figure out what their time sharing is going to look like. Um, but, but a lot of the time there is some bitterness in the room and, um, and most of the time the team works to put the bitterness aside. And the way that that is done is by constantly bringing the, the bitter person back to what are that person's interests, what are their goals, what do they want to, to end up with, what do they want their life to look like in five years. And when you, when you want to look at what your life is going to look like in five years, um, it's easier to put that bitterness aside because you can envision your future. And by, of course, envisioning your future, you make it happen. Um, and we really approach it with that, that I know it sounds kind of, you know, um, saccharine uh, attitude, but, but you'll find that most collaborative professionals really do have that kind of, what's it going to look like in five years? Your life is going to be so much better. You're not going to be arguing every day. You'll, you know, you'll be able to respect each other and talk to each other about your problems. You'll communicate better. You'll problem solve. Um, and, it, and really, people come around to that because they see it working in the process itself. And they realize that, yes, life will be better. Now, let's go to the next question, which is the same framework, that is collaborative divorce and how it works to help manage or overcome challenges, this time by the families. And families, as we talked about before, including grandparents, siblings, relatives, that group that comprises a human family. How, 
how in more detail, please, does collaborative divorce work to help in those situations? Jaren? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, because collaborative process really belongs to the spouses um, and there's no court making the rules and regulations. The only rule is that the lawyers sign a document saying, we will not go to court. We'll get off the case if you guys decide you have to go to court. Um, they can bring anybody into the room they want to. I had a divorce recently where the couple was, uh, quite frankly, they were uh, 79 and 82. And the team realized that we really needed at least one of their adult children to, uh, to be there um, in the process. And so we called upon uh, the closest one physically was in another county and appealed to her to support us in, in this uh, divorce. And she came and she was, she was an active participant with the, with the spouse's permission in the process. Um, and so, you know, you're right. The family, especially when there's a child who's disabled, the family seems to be, the extended family seems to be much more involved and, um, and will uh, be uh, invited to participate. We don't see them. Trial attorneys tend to see the extended family as the Greek chorus whispering in the party's ear and, and changing their mind and, and uh, influencing them negatively. Um, uh, but that's not, that's not so much in the collaborative process. We, we like them to be involved and supportive and uh, we, we appeal to them to do that. Would you go so far as to say that these psychological benefits um, basically that uh, derive or occur during uh, or as a result of the process are in fact a kind of mental health support? I won't use the word treatment, but mental health support for all concerned. Is that a fair summary on my part or am I going too far? No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and let me point out that, um, you know, we often have to make it very, very clear to the spouses that the, um, the facilitator may have a family counseling background, but the facilitator is not there to do therapy. The facilitator is there to teach, uh, to mentor, to um, facilitate, obviously, to take care of the process and to take care of the team and keep everybody on track and keep everybody uh, focused on what the, um, the interests and the goals are. So, um, so you're absolutely right that, uh, that it's, it's not therapy, it's uh, not therapeutic, although the results may end up being therapeutical, if you will, but, um, but it's collaborative. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting, too, to listen to. Now, we've come to the time where we need to take the break, so we'll do that now. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Joran Jenkins. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join Voice America as we broadcast live from the 39th National Hard Money Conference, the Pitbull Conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This is an event for real estate professionals spotlighting on private money financing. The day features over a dozen panelists and guest speakers. The Pitbull Conference is a great way for professionals to network with investors and other professionals. For more information about the Pitbull Conference, visit pitbullconference.com and join Voice America on Monday, March 7th on our live events page at voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc. Letter G at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Joran Jenkins. Our topic is divorce when children live with disabilities. Now, Joran, let's talk about what more you would like to do, you would like to do, and you would like to see done to promote collaborative divorce as a positive change for mothers and fathers and for their children who are living with persistent disabilities. So first then, what more would you like to do to promote collaborative divorce? Joran? Well, I'm doing everything I can. I, uh, I've written four books about collaborative divorce. Um, two are for the public and, and two so far are for professionals themselves to promote it. Um, I have a pro bono workshop, uh, I'm sorry, a pro bono project where we do uh, collaborative divorces for um, couples who don't have the funds to pay lawyers or pay collaborative professionals. We will do them for free. Um, my practice group has a reduced rate program where we reduce the regular fees that we charge for couples that have some funds, but not a lot. And those, uh, obviously are resources for parents who have uh, children with disabilities and therefore they too don't have the funds for, for the uh, professionals who aren't absolutely necessary to the caregiving process. Um, and I, so what I, I do is I speak around the country uh, about getting your own pro bono project going because that also helps to spread the word. Uh, the more people who get divorced collaborative, co- collaboratively, 
There are more people out in society talking about what a great process it is, um, how it costs less, how it's um, more um, therapeutic, if you will. Um, although we, we already agreed that the facilitator doesn't do therapy um, and how it, uh, it takes less time too. All, with, uh, all benefit normal families as well as families with, uh, who have children with disabilities. So um, I speak, I, you know, and, and I think that by doing that, by having professionals who practice in this area and who are willing to talk about it to small groups, to large groups, um, you know, we're spreading the word that way, all of us. Right. Right. Now, this is the same question, but it's asking you what you would like to see done and by whom to promote collaborative divorce. Erin? Well, I, I would like to see uh, more states in the United States um, passing the Uniform Collaborative Law Act or some version thereof. Um, when, the, when the state has an actual law that recognizes collaborative practice um, as a legitimate process, you will see more and more people, um, A, being educated in, in their choices in divorce processes, and B, going to uh, collaborative professionals, not just lawyers, but also the facilitators and the financial professionals, and saying, how do I go get a collaborative divorce? Um, I think it's also much more likely when that ha- when the, the statutes are in place that both parties, both spouses, will realize that it's a legitimate process and it's something that they should consider. These days, um, when there's no statute in place, it's, it's a lot harder to convince both parents to head in that direction. Sometimes the divorce is so um, bitter, a, a word that you used earlier, that uh, if husband says to wife or wife says to husband, let's consider collaboratively divorcing, that's, that spouse's reaction is a knee-jerk, hell no, I'm not doing it that way. Um, whatever you suggest, I want to do the opposite. So um, passing the laws would be a big step. Um, and and uh, just, you know, everyone getting the word out, mentioning it, you hear someone who's getting divorced, Oh, did you know about this uh, this way of getting divorced collaboratively? I've heard good things about it. Do the research, you know. Right. Now, just just to extend that a little bit further, um, we're talking about collaborative divorce um, that requires a law. Does that mean that there's resistance to the idea of collaborative divorce, Jaren? Well, you might have guessed. Uh, Trial lawyers don't like the idea at all. You go to a family lawyer to get a divorce, and if there's if there's going to be a trial, it's probably going to cost you a hundred grand in in U.S. dollars. Uh, if you go to a collaborative professional, um, that lawyer is only likely to make about ten thousand um, dollars. A collaborative divorce. My research has shown, and my research is not uh, expert by any means, but um, you know, I've, I've collected the data from uh, approximately 25 cases. Um, I think you can do a collaborative divorce for about $30,000 total, and that's for both lawyers, the facilitator, and the financial expert. So 
it costs a lot less. Now, it does cost more than just going to mediation unless you, you know, can't, can't get it solved and the mediation just keeps going and going and going. But it's going to cost you a lot less than going to court. Fair enough. Now, this is a, a different and rather loaded question that I'm going to ask you, and it's this. Um, Darren, you and I right now are currently recording an episode of Voice America's talk show, Family Caregivers Unite. So how could it be helpful if family caregivers were given the opportunity to discuss their experiences of divorce? And obviously I'm talking about collaborative divorce, but I also would include other sorts of divorce when a child is living with a disability. How, how could it be helpful? I'm not sure I understand the question. Okay. You and I are talking together, but you could, if you forgive me putting it this way, could be uh, one or other of the family caregivers uh, in a collaborative divorce. And I found running this show now for six years that people who've been through something want to share, very often want to share their experiences, telling people who are in similar situations what their own experience was. And they get a lot of satisfaction from doing it because they feel they're helping others. Um, do you agree with them? Is that something that would be useful in your field of collaborative divorce, or am I just pushing family caregivers unite? Jaren? That would be, that would be amazing. Gordon, that would be amazing. I, in the books that I've written, I purposely write stories about, true stories, about the divorces that I've seen, the collaborative divorces and the divorces that went to court, the divorces that went to mediation. That's how people connect, by, by seeing, hearing other people's stories. And so to, uh, to have people reach out um, with stories of their own would be amazing. Right. Thank you very much. Now, we've unfortunately come to the end of this immensely interesting and important episode uh, where you've been sharing with us your experience, your insights and your opinions as an experienced lawyer experienced in this whole idea of collaborative divorce. So on behalf of the community as a whole, as well as people who are perhaps entering the divorce world or something of that nature, I can only say to you, keep up the good work, all su success to you, because it really, really is important. And all I'm mentioning is that way back in my medical experience, um, I did begin to understand some of the stresses and strains and bitterness that I think uh, your methods are so successful with. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. And listeners, for any comments or questions that you'd like to ask of Jorin, here's the email address to use, docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Family Caregivers Unite is all one word. Um, if you, that'll reach me, and I will pass any comments or questions on to Jorin, um, because that way we may be able to um, interest more people in more of this kind of work that Jorin has been describing, and the success and the cost of money saving. So, um, to our listeners, please join us for our next episode 
bullying of people living with mental health disabilities. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.